Hey, this is Pastor Allen. I'm the lead pastor here at First Baptist Church of Naples, and we are so happy that you have chosen to join us as we go through God's Word together. God's doing some amazing things here, and we pray that God's Word will transform you from the inside out. Our mission here is to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ of all peoples. And our hope is, is that you are being a disciple that makes disciples. Now, if you don't have a church home, we would love for you to join us either in person or continuing online as we go into God's Word together every week. But if you are a member of another church, we don't want this to be in any way, shape, form, or fashion a substitute for you being connected to your local body. So our prayer is, is that God uses His Word to change you and to change others. So we pray that God will use you and this message for His glory. Have a great day. This in Jesus' name, amen. Mark chapter 6, verse 45. Let's stand Let's read God's word, Mark 6, verse 45. The Holy Spirit says through John Mark, Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. And after he'd taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. And he meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them. And the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. You may be seated. Have you ever heard of the Jesus Christ lizard? If not, we'll let you see him. Um, he's called this because he, they, they're called this because they can walk on water. Their, their, their real name is Basilic lizards. Uh, they're found in tropical regions. Here in southwest Florida, there are Jesus Christ lizards. They live near the water, and when they get frightened by a predator, they uh, can run on the surface of the water. And the reason why they can do that is because they have these little scales on their feet, uh, which make little webs and trap uh, air bubbles and water bubbles there. And it goes underneath them, their feet. And if they go fast enough, they can just skid across the water, as you saw. Have any of you ever tried walking on water? I don't recommend it. I've tried over the years, and all I got was wet. You know, it's physically impossible for humans to walk on water. The density of water is one gram per cubic centimeter at four degrees Celsius. And I know that blesses your heart. But what that means is it means that the surface tension of the water cannot support you because you are too heavy. But there is a way you can walk on water, but you're going to have to sprint on water. If you can sprint 67 miles per hour, you can walk on, you can sprint on water. The problem is, is that the fastest recorded foot speed on land is 27.79 miles per hour by Usain Bolt. And I don't know anybody in this room that can run as fast as him. 
So as impossible as it is for us, it was and is not impossible for Jesus. And as we go through this very familiar story, as we've walked through quite a few very familiar stories, if you've maybe been in church all your life, if you're new to church, these are new stories. And so you're like, ah, this is cool, or this is weird. Uh, But as you read Mark's gospel, hopefully those of you that are familiar with these stories, you are finding as we've gone through this series, some deeper connections and truths that maybe you didn't have before, that maybe you have kind of glanced over or maybe you had taken for granted. Well, in the story of Jesus walking on water in the middle of the night, it's very tempting for us to just say, well, amen, it's a great post-Thanksgiving sermon and move on. But, But listen, this story tells us more about Jesus than the fact that he can do what we cannot do. It tells us who he is, and it causes us and cause, calls us to trust him more. And so what we have seen as we've gone through these stories is that Jesus is more than a bread maker, he's more than a prophet, and he's more than a king. And so as we conclude this section of Mark, we're going to take a little break and come back to Mark later, uh, we're going to see in this story is that Jesus is going to vividly show us that his authority and identity are greater than we can imagine and how absurd it is that we do not trust in him. So let's just walk through that. Number one, authority. What we see here in this story is that these disciples were sailing under his orders. Verse 45, immediately, and that is right after Jesus fed the 5,000 with those fish burgers still in their stomachs, Jesus uh, tells his disciples to get into a boat. He commanded them to go to the uh, city of Bethsaida, uh, to the house of fish, and, and to go without him, to bring the leftovers from all the food, those 12 baskets, and, and to meet him. Now, Jesus uh, was going to withdraw and get away. And the reason why is because in John chapter 6, verse 15, Jesus Jesus knew that the crowds uh, wanted to make him king. They wanted to make him king because of what he did. He just fed all those people, and so they wanted to make him Burger King. Uh, I've got puns today. And so these disciples obeyed their rabbi. And so verse 46, after he had taken leave of them, he went to the mountain. Now, Jesus, in his humanity, uh, we'll see, will often get away from the crowds and spend time with his father. There are three particular moments in Mark's gospel where Jesus does this. Uh, Mark chapter 1, verse 35, after Jesus heals a leper. Uh, And then Mark chapter 14, verse 32, as Jesus is uh, going to the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, And then here in this text, uh, Jesus is going to... um, spend some time alone with, with his father in prayer. And, and, and the reason for that, I believe, is to strengthen himself against the temptation of taking the easy road. See, in Mark chapter 1, Jesus heals the leper and his fame starts to grow. And, and there's this temptation because you remember Jesus is fully God and fully man. And in his humanity, there's this temptation that maybe he can get the crown without the cross. And so Jesus strengthened himself against that temptation. Or here, as these people wanted to make him, take him by force and make him king, he could, again, take the easy way. And then in Mark chapter 14, as Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, knowing that his crucifixion was imminent, is praying and strengthening himself because here's what you're going to learn in the life of Jesus. Doing what is right is more important than doing what is easy. And so Jesus chose to go to hell so that we could go to heaven. And so he's praying. In verse 47, the Bible says that when evening has come, or I came, 
It's around 6 p.m. It was dark. Jesus is up on the mountain. The disciples are in the, the sea on a boat. And any time in the Gospels where Jesus is not around his disciples, normally something weird happens or something bad happens. Now, if you're familiar with where we've been these past few weeks, the Sea of Galilee is about 600 feet below sea level. It's a big bowl. And uh, in the evening, when the warm air rises during the day, and especially in the evening, uh, there's the cold air from the Mount Hermon that goes through the horns of Fatim into the Valley of the Pigeons and kind of creates some sort of a wind tunnel right into the sea. And, and so the Bible says that as these disciples were in the boat, this wind, this mega wind comes, and they're, the Bible says that they were making headway painfully. That is a graphic word in the Greek. It means to strain, uh, torture, torment. It's a word that's used to describe childbirth or even the pain of hell, and some say they're one and the same. Here they were, tortured, tormented, rowing, trying to keep the boat from blowing over. And it had been an extremely long day. Everyone thought that they were going to have a vacation somewhere with Jesus. And instead, they ended up doing a seminar on the, in, in a desolate place. And, and the people were hungry. And so Jesus has spoke all day, talked all day. Talk, and then Jesus has the disciples feed everybody. So they're worn out, they're exhausted, and now the wind is against them, and the wind was unrelenting. And the Bible tells us that Jesus watched the whole thing happen. And what was unknown to the disciples was not unknown to Jesus. The storm that happened in the middle of the sea didn't surprise our Lord, and it tells us something about God's will. See, what we have to understand is that the disciples are not in the storm because they were out of God's will. But they were in the storm because they were in the very will of God for their lives. And so the same is true in our lives, that there is nothing that comes into our life except that which either God causes or God allows. And, and, and unfortunately, we allow false narratives, false thoughts come into our mind when it comes to the will of God. One of those false narratives is this, is that if I'm in the will of God, then everything's going to be easy and going to be comfortable. Well, that's not true. Often it's the opposite. Often the will of God is hard and dangerous. Often where God leads us is, is tough. And, and so we cannot uh, allow the degree of difficulty be the determining factor for the will of God in our lives because often it's not easy. You know, this morning I was talking with some of our deacons before the, uh, the first service and we spent some time in prayer every morning and we were just rehearsing just, just kind of all the goodness of God in our lives and, and, and I was telling them about that, that whenever I felt that God was calling me to leave from where I was in Sanford and come and be the pastor here and I, I remember at the time I was telling them, you know, I didn't want to come here. I really loved where I was. It was great. I'd been there for 12 years and the church was sweet and, and, and I was comfortable. My family was very happy. They had, we had a lot of friends, and, and, and God was doing some incredible, amazing things in that church. And I remember getting that call, but knowing this was God's will for me to come. And it was tough, and it was difficult. And, and, and when the first few months here was tough, and it was difficult, but now I look back and say, that is God's will for my life. And because what you have to understand is that God's will is often not easy, but the will of God will never take you, or the grace of God cannot keep you. And so this false narrative is that if I'm doing God's will, it's going to be easy and comfortable. That's not true. Another false narrative in our minds is that if I'm going through a difficult situation, 
then that means that God is mad at me or he doesn't love me. Well, listen, don't judge God by your situation. Don't, don't get your theology from your circumstances, Warren Wiersbe says, because you may conclude that God doesn't love you. Listen, just because you're going through difficulty doesn't mean God is punishing you. Jesus loves and loved his disciples enough to allow them to go through this storm. And if he could love them enough to go through this storm, maybe he could love you enough to go through difficult situations because it's in that difficulty that you grow. It's really what's best for you. It's what's going to strengthen you for the long run. You know, a few years ago, my kids were given some quail eggs um, and an incubator. Some people in our church had a farm and they had these quail eggs. And so they thought it would be a, a cool thing to give our kids these quail eggs so that they could have these baby quail. Now, what you do with baby quail, I don't know, but this was the original Hatchimal, okay? <laughs> Before the, you know. And so, you know, my kids... We, we got them and we were excited about them. My kids were really little and, and they were waiting for them to hatch. And so the first, they would come every day and check. And then the, the first egg was, was hatching and, and in, in, and in my kids excitement, I mean, they were just so excited in, in one of my kids excitement, whose name I will not mention, will not mention his name, but he helped get one of the baby quail out of the shell. And, um, and the reason why is because he saw that the little bird was struggling to get out. And so he thought that if I could just kind of peel it away, it would help. Well, what happened is as soon as that little baby quail hatched, it died. Now, I'm not saying that my middle son killed the, 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 the little quail egg, the little quail. Um, but research has shown that it is best to let these these things to hatch on their own for at least the first 24 hours. It's best to let the little chick build strength to live in the outside world. And that if you, if you intervene too soon, it actually can be detrimental to the little chick. So it's not evil or unloving to allow the chick to struggle to get out. It's actually the best. Now in our bubble wrapped helicopter parenting, easy button, insta world, that seems very counterintuitive. But God often allows us to go through difficulty, through struggles, so that we can grow in our faith and have a faith that is sustaining in the difficulties of our world. So Jesus here did not send them into this storm because he was mad at them. He sent them into the storm because he loved them and wanted to teach them more about who he is so that that would sustain him when he's no longer with them. But they were under his authority. The second thing we see is his identity. They saw Jesus walk on water. Verse 38, uh, pardon me, verse 48 says, Jesus saw them. He saw them. Now, here they are. They are, they are straining in complete torment. Wind is howling against them. And they don't see him, but he sees them. And that's a miracle in and of itself. I mean, it was dark. It was a few miles away and storming. And yet Jesus never takes his eye off of them. He knew everything that was going on. He didn't turn a blind eye to their suffering. And the same is true with us. He does not take a blind eye to our suffering. He sees your struggles and he knows your pain. 
And as he watches them, it was about the fourth watch of the night, right before dawn. Darkness was losing its grip on the night as they were rowing for hours upon hours, trying to stay alive in the middle of a hurricane. The Bible says one of my favorite words in this story, he came to them. Now, he didn't swim to them. That would have been pretty impressive. He walked on top of the water in spite of the wind and the waves to get to them. Now, he wasn't, as some would say, maybe some secular scholars say, well, he he wasn't riding an iceberg. That would have been pretty impressive, but he wasn't surfing on an iceberg. And he wasn't walking on a sandbar. He walked on water. Scholars believe that he walked between three to four miles on the water. If he was doing an average walking pace, that would be about 70 minutes. That would be completely unprecedented. See, he comes to them when they could not come to him. Why would he do that? Why, why wouldn't he just snap his finger and immediately the wind and the waves cease? Why would, why would he take the time, walk 70 minutes on the wind, on the waves to get to them? Because he was wanting to reveal to his disciples and to us who he really is. See, some say, again, that Jesus never explicitly said that he was God in the Gospels, but yet that's not true. But even if Jesus never said that he was God in the Gospels, he did a lot of things that only God can do. Mark here in this text is very intentional with the words that he uses to convey what Jesus was doing here. Jesus was revealing himself to the disciples in the middle of the storm. And isn't it true that God is often seen clearest in the middle of a crisis, in the diagnosis, in the pains and the operating room, and when hard knocks hit? See, I've learned that I learn more about God through stressful situations than I do through smooth sailing. Now, again, how was Jesus revealing himself? And how was he revealing himself to be God? Well, in multiple ways. Number one, there, all throughout the Old Testament is imagery of God walking on water. As a matter of fact, in the Old Testament, you know that God is God because he does walk on water. John, uh, pardon me, Job chapter 9. I don't know if you've ever read the book of Job. Uh, Job is an ancient story written like a play with monologues and drama. It's a true story. Uh, and, and, and if you are familiar with it, uh, Job experiences the worst kinds of trouble uh, imaginable. He loses his family. He loses his fortune. He loses his wife. He loses his friends. He loses his reputation. He loses his health. And yet in chapter 9, he says of God, he is wise in heart and mighty in strength, who has hardened himself against him and succeeded. He, God, who removes mountains, and they know it not, when he overturns them in his anger, who shakes the earth out of its place and its pillars tremble, who commands the sun and it does not rise, who seals up the stars, who alone stretched out the heavens, and notice this, and treads on the waves of the sea. Psalm 77, verse 19, the psalmist writes, your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. So here, to be God is to walk on water. But not only do we see that Jesus walking on water, revealing that he is God, but also there's another phrase that Mark intentionally uses. The Bible says that it was the fourth watch of the night. He came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass them by. Now, when you read that, you're like scratching your head. We're like, was Jesus just going to kind of walk by and say, hey, guys, what's going on? (laughs) 
What was he doing there? Well, there's some intentional language used by Mark of what Jesus was doing. This pass by language is found in Exodus chapter 33 when Moses asked God to show his glory to him. And God said to Moses, listen, there's no way you can see my glory. You would explode if you saw my glory in its fullness. So God says, I will just pass by you. The closest thing you're going to get to seeing me is seeing my backside or seeing where I just was. And so three times in Exodus chapter 33, God passed by Moses and revealed himself as being the God of steadfast love and mercy, slow to anger and abounding in, in, in steadfast love and forgiveness. Also in 1 Kings chapter 19, when Elijah was on the run from that snaggletooth uh, Jezebel, he was hiding in the cave, and the Bible says that God came to him, and God passed by Elijah. There, God was revealing himself to Elijah. And so Mark here is using the words that describe God as one who passes by is the same to describe Jesus who passed by. So here you have Jesus walking on the water. You have Jesus meaning to pass them by. But then verse 49, when they saw him on the sea, they thought he was a ghost. The word ghost here is where we get our word phantom. I mean, these disciples had seen a lot of freaky stuff. And the Bible says that when they, they were rowing against a hurricane, uh, the wind was coming at them, that, that, that they see this person walking on the water. And this had to be a very frightful sight. And so they were terrified. They don't know it's Jesus. And it's a good thing there was water splashing around because there'd probably be a lot of wet pants in the, on the boat and watching this creature come across. And, and in their terror and in their fear, Jesus responds with comfort. He gives them words of comfort. He says, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. In the midst of their fears, anxiety, and terror, Jesus says, I am with you. It's going to be okay, don't worry. But here some specific words are used. He says, it is I. The Greek word there is ego ami. Now, not lego my ego, but ego ami <laughs> can be translated, I am. That word I am is the name that God gave Moses, that covenant-keeping name that God gave Moses at the burning bush, bush in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. That name in Hebrew is Yahweh. It means I am. I am who I am. God was saying to Moses and to us, I am not who you say I am. I am not who you think I am. I am who I am. It doesn't matter who you are. It only matters who I am. And so you see here, that Jesus walks where only God walks. And Jesus talks like only God talks. And so Jesus is saying, take heart, don't be afraid. I'm not a ghost, I am God coming to rescue you. You know, every religion tells us that we're in a boat. And this religion says, don't get holes in your boat. Here's a paddle, do your best, try hard, row hard fight against the current, fight against the stream. And maybe, just maybe, if you try hard enough, you'll make it to shore. But that's religion. Christianity is not a religion. Christianity is a relationship. And in Christianity, it says, yes, you're in a boat, but you do have holes in your boat. And you're never going to make it in your boat because your boat's going to sink and you're going to be lost forever. And unless God comes to you, gets in your boat and saves you, you're going to die. And that's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. 
Because Jesus came to us. He is Emmanuel. God came to us. And so in this moment, when they couldn't come to him, he came to them. He was on the mountain. They were in the depths of the sea. And Jesus left the mountain and crossed the chasm and made it to where they were and rescued them. And in doing so, he was revealing his, his person, who he was. Kevin DeYoung says that the unmasked glory of Jesus was revealed in this moment. And the unmasked glory of Jesus is more powerful than any hurricane, more astounding than any storm, more terrifying than any near-death experience, and more comforting than your mom and dad holding your hand in the middle of the night. So here we see Jesus' authority. He, they sail under his orders and his identity. They saw him walk on the water. And now we're going to see the absurdity. They hardened their hearts to who he was. <clears throat> Verse 51, he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. The Bible says it immediately stopped. John tells us in John chapter 6 that when the Jesus got on board, uh, the disciples were glad. And John also tells us that as soon as Jesus got on board, they immediately went to where he told them to go. See, it was like they were teleported. So Jesus here walks on the water, saves them from the storm, and gets them to their desired destination. And the Bible says here that they were utterly astonished. In the Greek, it was completely, absolutely, totally, greatly, overwhelmingly amazed. I mean, there's a roller coaster of emotions here. They go from terrified of a ghost to glad to amazed, astonished. And so there's where it kind of ends. But verse 52 is commentary. Verse 52 is commentary that Mark gives us that comes from Peter. He says that they were amazed, but it tells us a little bit about this astonishment. There was something different about this astonishment. He says here, for they did not understand about the loaves. See, while they were freaking out on the boat, there were 12 baskets full of bread and fish in front of them. And they didn't put two and two together. I mean, they saw the miracle of the loaves and fishes, but they missed the point. They didn't see who Jesus was. And what you're going to notice here is that they have amazement, but they don't have faith. Here, the Bible says that their hearts were hard. Now, when that phrase is used in Mark's gospel, it's a phrase that's used to describe the scribes and the Pharisees. Those people that were outsiders to the kingdom, those who had eyes to see but didn't see and ears to hear but didn't hear. And so what you see in this moment on the boat that the, that the, the disciples were acting like scribes and Pharisees, like outsiders, like practical atheists. Now, it's easy for us to look at them and say, how can they do that? I mean, they saw Jesus walk on the water. He comes to see it, teleports them to Bethsaida. How in the, how in the world could they be this dull? How, how can they be this way? But yet I look at my life and I think about how many times God has been faithful to me over and over and over again. And when one moment of crisis comes, I lose my mind. See, they wanted Jesus on their boat, but they didn't have him fully in their hearts. Just like the crowds, they were wowed by the multiplication of the loaves and the fishes, but they didn't recognize. They didn't, they didn't fully open their hearts to who he was. Their faith was fickle. They believed, but still had unbelief. And here's what this tells us. Amazement is not the same thing as faith. 
I mean, you may be amazed at Jesus. You, you, you may be wowed by Jesus. You, you may uh, get a warm fuzzy when you think of Jesus. You, you, you may cry a little bit. You, you may get a little excited, but, but it's not the same thing as faith. I mean, the disciples still had bread in the boat and the smell of fish on their breath. And they didn't fully embrace who Jesus was. See, I believe God can do miracles. Don't you? Amen. Probably not as many miracles as he probably want to do because it's a pretty tepid response. But I believe God can do miracles. And I think we should ask him to do miracles. And I believe for greater things to come. But we need more than miracles to truly believe in Jesus. You know why? Because once we get what we ask for or once we receive some miracle or once God comes through or once things happen that that we've asked God to do, once God shows up, you know what happens? As soon as it's over, we forget it. I mean, how many times in your life have you said, God, if you would just show me a sign, if you would just do a miracle, I would trust you more? Or maybe you've prayed this prayer. You said, God, you know, if you would just show so-and-so a miracle, they would believe in you. And those may be well-meaning prayers, but they're shallow. I mean, how many people in the Bible saw miracles and actually truly believed in Jesus? Not as many as you think. I mean, there are a lot of people, a lot more people who saw the miracles of Jesus and still didn't believe in Jesus. I mean, he talks about this in Matthew chapter 11. He says, woe to you, Bethsaida and Chorazin. He says, if the miracles were done in Sodom and Gomorrah that were done in your towns, the people of Sodom and Gomorrah would have repented, but yet you don't believe. See, faith is not the result of knowing about Jesus. Faith is not the result of having some warm fuzzy or some existential experience or seeing some sort of power sign. It's a gift from God. And therefore, no pastor, no parent, no friend can make you believe. God has to give you faith. Parents can bring you to church, and and parents can constantly point you to God, but it takes the work of the Holy Spirit to change your life. So as we end... Some of you are thinking, why in the world did you tell us this? I mean, I was looking for some warm fuzzy after Thanksgiving. This isn't a very happy ending. I mean, yeah, Jesus walked on waters, but the disciples were dum-dums. Well, you know why this is so important? Because we're dum-dums. I need to be reminded who Jesus is all the time. I need more faith in who Jesus is. And here's the thing is I'm thinking about my life and how messed up I am and how messed up our world is. You know what we need more than we need miracles on the outside? We need the presence of Jesus on the inside. See, I don't need Jesus just to give me bread. I need him to be my bread. Because when I am filled with Jesus, when I am full of Jesus, I don't want the junk of this world. See, the miracle here is not just that Jesus calmed the storm. The miracle here is this, is that despite impossible circumstances, Jesus was there. The miracle here is the miracle of his presence. When when, when they thought that there was no way Jesus could be there, when there was no way a way could be made, Jesus made a way so that he could be with them. Because his presence is really what they needed. 
Because the Bible says that in his presence is the fullness of joy. And that's what we need. I, we, that's what you and I, we need God's presence in our life. You know, sometimes God seems to be absent. He seems to be a million miles away, but he's not. He's closer than your breath. And sometimes in life, when we go through difficulties and hard seasons, we, we experience his felt presence. How many of you in your life, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of your life, when you've gone through a situation, you knew God was there, you felt him. And in rare times, sometimes in corporate worship, we, we experience his manifest presence where he manifests himself in some sort of way. But, but what this story tells us is this, is that no matter what happens in your life, Jesus can walk on water. That Jesus is stronger and greater than your biggest fears and your deepest hurts. And as that old cliche says, that which is over your head is under his feet. See, peace, Adrian Rogers says, is not the subtraction of the problems in your life, but it's the addition of the presence of God in your life. It's not the subtraction of problems, but it's the addition of the presence of Jesus. And that's why Jesus doesn't rebuke his disciples. He doesn't say, you knuckleheads. He invites them to trust him. He says, do not be afraid. See, fear is an emotion, but it's also a decision. It's a conscious decision that you make. You have to decide, am I going to be afraid of what I do not know or what I cannot see, or am I going to trust in the one who died for me? See, Jesus is teaching his disciples and us today that there is nothing, there is nothing that can separate me from you, that I will allow nothing to separate me from you. I will walk on water to be with you. I will come to you in the middle of your darkest night. Paul put it this way in Romans 8. He said this, for I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, when I am assured of his presence in life, when I'm assured of his presence in my life, when I recognize who he is, then no storm no ghost, and no impossible situation can really scare me. And when you know that he's with you, you're not afraid. You're free. You're free to live for him. You're free to risk for him. You're free to give your life to him. You're free to give generously to him. You're free to go all in, and you're free to trust him for greater things because he's with you. You know, as, as impressive as it was for Jesus to walk on the water, to leave the mountain and go to the sea, even greater is what Jesus did on the cross. For on the cross, Jesus made a way from God to you and you to God. He came to this earth so that you can go be with him. He has come. And we are so grateful. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for the gospel. I thank you for the truths of this gospel. And God, those in this room that are struggling trusting you, give us grace to trust you more. 
Lord, what we want more than anything is we want your presence. God, we want your presence in our life. We want your presence in, in this week, in our homes, in our church, in our families. God, we want your presence in our hearts. Because where you are, Jesus, is freedom. It's joy. So, Lord, today, whatever anyone's going through, would they just ask you to give them more faith, to see you are working in their lives, and to give you a feeling of your presence in them. In Jesus' name, amen. Just stay seated and listen to the words of these songs. Thank you for joining us as we go through God's Word together. I pray again that God will transform you from the inside out. So as we say here at first, you have come to church. Go out and be the church. Have a great week of worship. We can't wait to see you soon.